0: Thank you, worship team. We are in a series that we're titling A Journey with Jesus, and we're in Luke chapter 12, verse 22 through 34. 871, if you're using one of the Blue Pew Bibles, and it's always helpful just to have your Bible open or device, whatever you use to read, and just follow along as we listen to some key teaching from Jesus here. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 22, we're going to go to 34. Let's stand together as we read God's word. And Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse or barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And if then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies and how they grow, Neither they, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. You may be seated. and Let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. Behind every worry is a war. Behind every worry is a war. This is part of a longer quote from a guy named Paul Tripp, Christian writer, counselor, and he's commenting on this passage, and he says, this passage is really a detailed unpacking of the war between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of self. It teaches us that behind every moment of worry is a war, a war for the heart. So I'm titling this sermon, The Worry War, and I want to say right away that the worry war is not a war that you win one time and then it's over. Oh, how I wish that was true. <laughs> like, I remember back in 1995, I won the worry war. And for the last 25 years, I've not had a worry. Man, don't you wish that was the case? But the worry war is something that you're always engaged in. Uh, it's, a long, it's a lifelong battle. The Apostle Paul, in talking to his protege, his apprentice, Timothy, he says, fight the good fight of faith. See, he knows it's a war. It's a a fight of faith. The war against worry is a fight for, for faith. Paul Tripp goes on to say this, defeating worry. Okay, so I'm leaning in. I've got, I'm losing the worry war sometimes. So defeating worry is not about hoping that tomorrow will be better. It's not just going, okay, if I just take some NyQuil, I get one good night's sleep. I know this isn't you, but other people I've talked to, and I just get that one good, then then everything will be different tomorrow. It's like just thinking that tomorrow will be better. No. Defeating worry is about being a good soldier in this deeper war for the heart. It's something you have to fight for, something you have to put on armor for, like a a soldier. Listen to his conclusion. It's about fighting the temptation. This is how you defeat the worry war, according to Paul Tripp. You fight the temptation to attach peace in your heart to things that cannot give you peace. It's about fighting the temptation to attach the peace in your heart to things that cannot give you peace. It is about feeding your soul on the promises of God and living for something bigger than yourselves. Well that's the sermon. We're in a worry war. We're all in it all the time. It's a fight for faith, and we have to dress ourselves like soldiers. And part of that is just saying, I I have a tendency to attach my peace to my 401k, which is now my 201k, (laughs) or my family, or my position or my health. None of these things are bad things. I don't want you to think of it as I've attached myself to negative things. These these things are fine. But when you think they're going to give you ultimate peace, satisfying joy, then you've attached it to the wrong thing. So I've got to fight the temptation to attach it to those things. And I have to attach to something that's forever. I have to regularly make it a habit of my mind to attach myself to this, so then I go, okay, this is where real peace is found. This is where real joy is found. Even in the midst of great circumstances or difficult ones, I've made the right attachment. So what do we learn here from, this pas- from Jesus in this passage about prevailing against the worry war? And I want to mention two things. There's a strategy, there's a common strategy deployed by worry that we need to be aware of. And Jesus mentions it here in the text. And then he gives us some tactics, or maybe you might think of tools. Tactics is a little bit better for a war analogy. So we're in this war, and I need some tactics. I need to know how to fight against this worry war. First of all, the strategy. First point here, and there are three, is finances represent a major front in our battle in the worry war. There are lots of fronts on the worry war battle. And this may not be yours today, but this is the one that Jesus is zeroing in on because it is a major front that my, my worry is very frequently attached to my wealth, whether it's how much I have or how much I don't have. It just has a root that's connected to my wealth. And let me show you what I mean. When we start reading the text in verse 22, we can see that we're breaking into a conversation because he says, therefore. So he's been saying something, and now he's going to draw some conclusions, so we're really jumping into the middle of the conversation. And the conversation started uh, previously, and Joseph talked about this. He talked about money, the parable of the rich fool. You remember that from last week. Joseph did a great job talking about that. And the takeaway line, you can read it in verse 15, chapter 12, is... Take care and be on guard. Take care and be on guard. Again, this is Jesus looking at his disciples saying, take care or stare at. That's the idea. Stare at this. Have your your eyes wide open. This is not something that you want to be, you know, just sort of sleepy around. You've got to guard against it. And what are you guarding against? All kinds of covetousness. covetousness, All kinds of greed. Greed. Whether it's a hoarding, which Joseph talked about, or a grabbing. Either way. Why? Because your life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. Apparently, Jesus had seen the bumper sticker on a chariot, he who dies with most toys wins. (laughs) That bumper sticker continues on today. And it's really meant to be funny. But what's funny is when there's a little truth in it. The feeling that, well, I know that's not true, but I sure would like some more toys. You know, that feeling like if I just had just a little bit more, well, then I would have life and, and I would not have any worries. I, I would sort of unload some of my worries because I have enough finances. And why the alarming language, watch out, stare at, guard against, It's because Jesus knows how easy it is for all of us to get sucked into this thinking. We don't even see it in Matthew chapter 6 he says it's a blindness you just you go right into it not thinking you're you're a part of it so he knows Jesus knows how easy it is for us to measure life by dollar bills and so he's he's caring for us to say watch out stare against and so just my first question here is how much of your worry has a root connected to wealth Jesus is really addressing just one front in the worry war. It has many points of attack, but worry and wealth seem to be like close cousins. So when you do some sort of self-analysis, how much of your worry, how much of your staying up late or waking up early or anxiousness, sort of that feeling in your chest is has some root wrapped around wealth in some way. One, one way to gauge is how often you think, if I just had a little bit more then I wouldn't be worried. If you think that you're losing the worry war. That would be a gauge to say okay I I really do think that so I'm losing the worry war. I've got to I've got to reattach my 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 joy to something else. Next piece of strategy here, we just first thing strategy is one big front in the worry war is connected to wealth. Secondly, the strategy is Do not be anxious. The strategy is division. The word anxious means divided. So Jesus is saying, don't be divided. He uses the same word in a familiar passage, the parable of the sower. Remember that? The the sower's casting the seed. It falls on four different kinds of soil. The rocky soil, or the, the hard ground, the rocky soil, and the thorns. And then there's the good soil. And you remember the thorns? What were the thorns? The worries of the world and deceitfulness of wealth. The worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth. Do you see how worry and wealth somehow close cousins are always sort of operating together? Worry coupled with wealth chokes out any chance for the word of God to penetrate the heart. Uh, Several years ago, and a few of you might have been at this meeting, we had a missionary couple here from China. And they had been there for 25 years. They were coming back to the States. They had a connection to our church. And so we invited them to come and talk about their experience in China. Very fascinating. And they talked about sort of a little history for us because a lot of us aren't familiar with, you know, just the politics of China. That in 1949, communism came in and really shut down any kind of hope for the gospel to move freely through the country. But their 25 years, China was a little more open the gospel and they talked about all kinds of different stories they had very fascinating and then they said this and this is the part that i'll never forget they made this statement this door of openness openness only has a five to ten year window So I was like, okay, I'm not in China, they're in China. Maybe they know something about power and politics that are going to happen. And so we're all kind of leaning in and saying, well, what's going to happen in the next five or 10 years that sort of recloses China? And their answer was, what was it? Wealth. See, communism closed people off, and they were concerned that wealth was going to close people off. China was going to grow economically, and people who were had hardship now, they were going to find their answers in wealth, and they were going to be hard, hardened to the gospel. Isn't that fascinating? I wanted to ask them what they thought of America, but I didn't think I wanted to hear the answer, so I moved on. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, we know it. No one can serve two masters. And money has a mastering effect. And when it becomes your master, you begin to worry about it. Because whatever is your master, you're worrying. And I think in the fight against the worry war, you can just ask yourself, what am I worrying about? If it's not wealth, what is it I'm worrying about? And behind that is probably your idol. That's the main thing that has to happen for me to be happy, whatever that thing is. And Jesus is choosing money here. Again, Paul trip. it's about fighting the temptation to attach the peace of your heart to things that cannot give you peace. Final piece of strategy Jesus gives us is that the result of this divided heart is, verse 28, people have little faith. Little faith. He, Jesus is like a master counselor here, and he's teaching us that The root of our worry it's not psychological it's not financial it's not physical it's theological worry comes from having little faith a person who has little faith lives a divided life one day i trust god he's going to take care of everything then it doesn't look like he's doing a very good job the next day so i got to take control and we have this divided life that, yes, this, God's going to take care of it. He's not doing what I want. i got to take care of it. And we just live in this little faith world. And so he says, which of you, by being anxious or divided, can add just one hour to their life? He's trying to say, your way of worry is not working. You can't add even one hour to the end of your life. So why are you, why are you worried? So if you're losing the worry war, whether it's on this front or another, you need to ask, why is it that my, when you fill in the blank. Why is it that my 401k, my health, my children, my position, my plan, my pleasure is master instead of God? Why is that? Hudson Taylor. Uh, very, uh, a hero of mine, I would say, is a missionary to China. He started what was called the China Inland Missions. And there had been missions to China, but it was all sort of on the coast, and he went inland, and so that was what made him China Inland Missions. And he carried, at the end of his life, an enormous amount of weight and responsibility for the mission, for churches, and many missionaries that were coming from the West into China. And he wrote a book, or a book was written about him, I should say, called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secrets. Really a great book. And let me just read a part. Whenever work permitted, Hudson was in the habit of singing hymns. All right, I like that already. Just whenever, whenever he's around, he just has a little tune in his heart. It's part of his fight against the worry war. He would always come back to this one hymn, Jesus, I am resting, resting the first line, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. See that? I've, I've taken my glory or my, my worry from here to here. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Some around him could hardly understand this joy and rest, especially when fellow workers were in danger. Mr. Nichols, this was one of the people on the mission field with him, Recalls a series of letters arriving on one occasion, which brought out serious news of rioting in two different missionary stations. Standing at his desk to read them, Mr. Taylor mentioned what was happening and that immediate help was necessary. Feeling that he might wish to be to be alone, Nichols was about to quietly withdraw when, to his surprise, someone began to whistle. It was a soft refrain. Jesus, I am resting. Interesting. Turning back, ask yourself if you might have been Mr. Nichols here. Mr. Nichols could not help but exclaim to Mr. Hudson Taylor, how can you whistle when our friends are in such danger? Taylor's long-remembered response. Would you have me be anxious and troubled? That would not help them and certainly would incapacitate me for work. I just have to roll the burden on to the Lord. Day and night, that was a secret. Frequently, those who are wakeful in his his house might hear at two or three o'clock in the morning, when you wake up when you're worried, the soft refrain, Jesus, I am resting, resting. Hudson had learned that for him, only one life was possible, the life of faith, resting in the Lord. Now, that's a great story, but... My fear is that some of you would say, yeah, I mean, I guess that works for Hudson, but really, I mean, just rolling your burdens onto the Lord, is that what you're asking us to do, Paul? And the answer to that is, well, yeah, yes, that I, I'm asking you to do that. The Lord is asking you to do it, more importantly. But if you're skeptical, if you just say, I mean, that doesn't really work, well, is your way of working working? I mean, is is you're biting your nails? Is you're waking up at three o'clock in the morning and checking your your phone or whatever? Is that really working for you? See, I I don't think it is. There is something that's available for us. And it's little habits of just singing a hymn and saying, I'm just remembering something true right now or else my mind's going to get caught up in worry. So let's just turn to some tactics here. I'll mention three. First of all, you notice in the verse 22, do not, do not be anxious. In other words, you're going the anxious way. Don't turn around. You need to go in a different direction. You need to reverse course. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And the transformation begins in how you think about things. And I'm afraid to say that many people are stuck on a faulty pattern of thinking when it comes to their finances and here's the faulty pattern i've got to live then save then give that's a faulty or false pattern i've got to live then i if i have money after my living i got to save and in those rare occasions i have money after my living and saving then i give the false narrative is i have to take care of myself first or even better a greater false narrative is as soon as i i have enough money for my living then i'm going to be giving you know what happens to that don't you know that that your living always meets your earning no matter how much you make you just continue to somehow spend at at the point that you're you're 10 over all the time so you can never get around to giving in Deuteronomy 26, there's a principle that plays out also in the New Testament, the first fruits. You remember this? So but almost everybody in Israel at that time is growing something. It might be flocks. It might be uh, fruit. And the idea that, G- that God says to his people is, hey, you know, when the, the season comes and the fruit's coming in, you're going to pick the apples off the tree. You're going to take the corn from the cob, whatever it is that you're growing, the very first part of it, I want you to give it to me. Now, wouldn't that be hard after winter? That you're, you're, Everything's coming in, you, your supplies are low, you're pretty hungry, and the very first part, you've got to give to the Lord. It's a practice. It's like you're exercising the muscle to say, everything comes from the Lord. I'm not going to first just hoard it, hoard it, hoard it, hoard it, it, and then give to the Lord. No, you're going to give first. So, a biblical way of thinking about your finances is to give, then save, and then live. My guess is many of us would want to do more for the kingdom of God. But you would just say, I don't have the resources. And I might say it's possible that we don't have the right priorities. It's hard. This is hard. This is Jesus saying, I know you're going to get captured. I see it all the time. And this is how you get captured. You live your life first. You don't give. And then because you live your life first and you start worrying about it. And just don't do that. He's just trying to say, hey, you got to turn that around. Don't go that way. Go this way. The second tactic is do pay attention to creation. And I really love this, and I especially was thinking about this during the, the time of silence with the flowers. Aren't these just beautiful? Who, who did that? that? That was God. And, and these beautiful flowers are like singing out to us to say, look, look at us. We didn't worry about it. We, this is what, how God has taken care of us. I love this response. Look at birds. Look at the flowers. Look at the grass. He just says, look at creation. And I wonder what Jesus saw when he saw creation. Hey, I made, I made that right there. Come look. I mean, come take a look. This is really awesome. Look at this bird. Look at this flower. Look at the grass. And, and if we're made in his image and he takes care of these like this, We can trust him. I love how simple it is because you can just walk outside and it can be like a a theological lesson for you. So so simple, little tactic. I was listening to a podcast about healthy morning routines, and this guy said his morning routine was to fill up his coffee cup, then race out the door. I won't ask for a show of hands here. And he decided to insert this little routine. I would stand outside for five minutes with his coffee. <laughs> and he said, again, to begin to reshape my soul. Just that tiny little practice of just saying, okay, for five minutes, I'm just going to observe the nature that's around me and what God is doing. And that caused him to have a totally different disposition as he entered the word. That world, that's, that's how you begin to fight against the worry war. Martin Luther says this, God makes the birds our schoolmasters. It is a great disgrace to us that in the gospel, a helpless sparrow should become a theologian and preacher. I love that. So, so you, you're going the wrong way and, and Jesus is pleading and I'm pleading on his behalf. Go a different way. Think a different way about how you live and save and Give. Give. Save, live. Look around. Just look at creation. Just walk outside for five minutes and just notice it. And notice how it begins to transform your soul. And third, you got to train your taste in treasure. That's how I put that, verse 33 and 34. You got to train your taste in treasures. Verse 33 sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with the treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but do lay up yourselves treasures in heaven. Randy Alcorn's written a great book called The Treasure Principle, and he says this, his, his commentary about this verse. Notice Jesus' argument. Jesus doesn't say earthly treasures are bad. They just don't last. So Jesus' investment strategy is logical. You should invest. You really should invest. But invest in things that will benefit not in three years or 30 years, but 30 million years. See, that changes your thinking. What's going to be around in 30 million years that I can invest in? Now, this is a little strange, and maybe four or five people will appreciate this. But I love going to the New Hanover County City Dump. I won't ask for a show of hands, but there's something satisfying about pulling up your trailer or your car, popping up the hatch and just going like this. Anybody with me on this? Just, just, it's, it went from my house to my garage and now it's going to the dump, right? That's, everything has that little circuit. And one day, several years ago, I took my last big box television. Most of you in this room know it. The college students won't know what I'm talking about. But I had this big box, I don't know, 33 inches or something. And there was a place at the dump just for big box televisions. So I get there and I'm dumping it out. It's like a mountain of big box televisions. And this is, you think this, I was strange going to the dump. This is the really strange part. I got out and started looking at the televisions. (laughs) I was, and I could remember, remember Circuit City? This is really old. I won't even use this illustration in the next service, but (laughs) I would go into Circuit City and be like, wow. And I could remember some of these televisions being in Circuit City. And I was like, I remember drooling over that television. And now it's on the dump. How many times you're drooling over something, it's going to end up in the dump. You've got to train your taste to say, hey, there's something that's not going to end up there. Something that's going to last more than three or 30 years years—it's going to last 30 million years. And when you go see it, it's going to be like jewels. And you're going to say, I put, I put my investment in those kinds of things. So we're coming up on the Advent season. And every year we take up a special offering for three different missions. And last year it was overseas. This year it's local. I think it's First Fruit, Young Life, and Lifeline. It's just a it's just a time. It's just a way to work your muscle to say, Hey, I want to give my give money, money that I have to, to this thing that in thirty million years somebody's gonna say thank you for helping us in that way. It's still paying off. So so how are you doing in the worry war? All of us are fighting it. It's not it's not a mystery. The question is just how are you doing? Maybe your front isn't in the finances. You're just saying that's true, Paul. But you know I got a big, big battle over here. It's not in the financial thing, but you're still going to be using the same kind of tactics to say, "I'm just going to go outside. I'm going to just spend a few minutes thinking. God did this. He's going to take care of me." I'm going to find my favorite hymn or song on my Spotify playlist and just when that worry comes in, I'm going to start playing it so I can remember the truth. If Jesus takes care of a sparrow, you, you're a treasure. You are a treasure to God. He will take care of you. Let's pray together. Lord, we, this is difficult for us in our culture. And so we need you to come in and pull out some wires and rewire us into your kind of thinking. And it won't be natural and it won't be what everybody else is doing. But you're telling us there is a real way to win in the worry war. And you help us kindly with this information today. So I pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters, as they leave and they fight on their own battle, that they would fight and win. That we wouldn't be people of little faith. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.